This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Good afternoon and welcome to a special edition of Fight Back. I'm Libby Snymer. It's high noon and we have a carp mayoral debate live from Zoomer Hall. First, let's tee up the topic with a message from Moses. Attention Libby, copy John. This is this week's assignment. The Toronto mayoralty election coming up on October 24th was shaping up to be a debate-free race. John Tory was sleepwalking to an acclamation, and he's still likely to win by an enormous margin. But finally, a few credible candidates have appeared to provide at least some semblance of a contest. Surprisingly absent are the left-wing names, the stars that you might have thought would take on this mayor at a time of total traffic gridlock, shocking deficiencies in garbage removal, and impaired access to various city facilities. So how come the Leightons and the Cressys are nowhere to be seen? Are they lazy or just plain chicken? Don't they believe that many urgent civic issues need a thorough airing? Or are they just hardened realists who don't want a loss on their records and are just biding their time for the election after this one? Too bad about the city going to ruin in the meantime. Please gather Toronto Mayor John Tory and four of the top contenders to at least bring some discussion to the fore, especially Zoomer-related issues which we believe should be front and center in this campaign. Moses. for joining us. We're in Zoomer Hall with a live audience, including Anthony Quinn, Chief Community Officer at CARP, who will be handling the CARP questions. Anthony. Okay, we've come to listen to five of the 34 mayoral candidates vying to be Toronto's mayor. They are the incumbent John Tory, who is running for a third term, Gil Penalosa, a prominent urbanist and former Parks Commissioner of Bogota, Colombia, Sarah Kleimenhag, an environmental and sustainability advocate, who finished sixth in the last municipal election in 2018. Chloe Brown is a policy analyst for the federal government. Jack Yan is a finance and technology entrepreneur and web developer. So to start with, each candidate will have two and a half minutes to tell us why he or she should get the top job in the country's largest city. We determine the order of speaking by drawing names out of a hat, and we begin with Jack Yan. Hi. Thank you, Anthony, for inviting me here. To everyone listening, Toronto is sick. Crime is skyrocketing, with shootings more than doubling since 2014. There is a housing crisis where citizens, young and old, cannot afford basic accommodation. Rising homelessness, a $1.25 billion program that has led to a 40% increase in unhoused individuals. Toronto needs a strong mayor with a backbone, one with vigor, honesty, 
and intellect, we will work tirelessly day and night to find the cure to this illness. If left unchecked, this affliction threatens to destroy your retirement, the life of your children, and the life of your grandchildren. We cannot abandon our youths and seniors. It is wrong for the government to spend billions of dollars on ineffective social programs while patting themselves on the back. We must energize our private sector to build more homes, increase accountability of government spending to improve the quality of care of our most vulnerable population, and show zero tolerance to career criminals so we can protect the most precious thing to you in the world, your family. My background in finance and technology allows me to know what is possible within our budget and what Toronto could be with the right investment. On October 24th, you will decide the fate of Toronto for the next four years. I trust that you will make the right choice. My name is Jack Yen, and I hope to have your support at the polls. Thank you. Thanks, Jack. Next up. Next up is Chloe Brown. Good afternoon, Toronto. My name is Chloe Brown. I am born and raised in Etobicoke, primarily Rexdale, and I've grown up in this city um, doing doing a bunch of things. Uh, since I was 18, I was working in a security job, and I thought I was making good money until I applied for an apartment. I didn't know at the time the apartment was being run by the Toronto Community Housing Administration, corporation. And that's what really got me into politics. The system itself, it works because there are bureaucrats, there are planners that are working together to keep the city moving, despite the elected officials that come to run it every four years. For the last eight years, we have been subsidizing corporate Canada because that's been the agenda of John Tory as their, you know, fair hair boy. So I'm not surprised that we're here, but unlike what Jack is saying, there is not, this is not the end of the line. There is so much possibility here if we actually are focused on resetting the scales. And what that means is restoring democracy for the working class. I'm here to move beyond left-wing and right-wing rhetoric after, I don't know, since 2016, we've been put onto teams of you're left-wing and you're right-wing because you believe in this and you believe in that. Well, unfortunately, the working class are not that easily swayed. We are right-wing and left-wing based on the issues that come to us. And it's time that we actually put investment and power into the hands of the working class people that we champion when we say diversity is our strength. It's time to go beyond theory and actually get into action and practice. And the only way that we do that is getting rid of the old forms of management that govern working class people. And it's not just John, it's Doug, it's Justin, it's all the dynasty boys that use their parents' power to not take up jobs, but to sit on corporate ladders and use that as an opportunity to look down on us and say, hey, solve your own problems, because I did. The reality is completely different. I'm running because I, as a policy analyst, have heard you. You cuss me every day about where your programs and services are, and you have every right to be mad. The elected officials no longer represent the working class, and that is why I'm running, because it's time to get power back into the hands of capable people who actually care about fixing their communities and not getting cottages away from the chaos. My name is Chloe Brown, and vote for me. Thank you.
Thank you. Next up is John Tory. Thank you, Libby. I welcome this opportunity to debate as I seek the privilege of continuing uh, to be your mayor. And I thank CARP uh, for putting on the debate, and I thank the other candidates uh, for taking part. I love this city, and I love working for you. I'm running for re-election because I believe Toronto needs an experienced leader to see us through some uncertain times, to build on the success of the past eight years, but to navigate our way through uncertain times. Our economic recovery is underway, and it follows a devastating pandemic during which time I led a wonderful team to keep you safe and to support you. We have a $28.5 billion transit plan that is in place, agreed upon by the governments. I helped to bring it about. It is actually getting built now right across the city. Thousands more affordable and supportive housing units are built and in development. Our economic recovery is underway, and we've continued to attract new jobs and investment from around the world. I'm putting my experience to work to make sure that Toronto comes back stronger than ever. Every day, we've worked hard to create better lives for our seniors, with expanded dental care to seniors' housing to better long-term care, many other things beyond that. I'm proud of my record working with the provincial and federal governments to make real big change happen, but there's more to do on all of these fronts. There's still much more housing to be built, especially affordable and supportive housing. This is important to ensure that seniors and their kids and their grandkids can afford to live in the city, and that's why I've put forward a plan to build more housing faster. I need a mandate to keep the transit plan on track. Even in this election, there are people who would start to pull that plan apart and we just can't go back there. We've been there before. We need to make sure that we keep life in the city affordable in the face of rising interest rates and inflation. And that is why I've committed to keeping property tax increases for the operating budget below the rate of inflation. The city itself is looking at a more than $1 billion budget crunch this year. Dealing with that and protecting frontline services will require someone with experience to see us through. It will take an even greater focus on finding efficiencies and smarter ways of doing things. I know how to do that. Residents expect the nuts and bolts of government to be there, and I will ensure that City Hall increases its focus on that. I want to take the solid foundation that we've put in place these last eight years, protect our progress, and use my experience to make sure that Toronto's bright future can become a reality. That is why I'm seeking a mandate to make these things happen, and why I respectfully ask for your support on October the 24th. Thank you. Thank you. Next up is Gil Penalosa. I am Gil Penalosa, and I'm very glad to be here talking about seniors and cities because I've been working in seniors and cities for many years. I am the founder and the leader of the world movement 880 cities. It's basic. What if everything that we did in our cities, the sidewalk, the crosswalk, the park, the libraries, everything had to be great for an eight-year-old? and for an 80-year-old, then it would be good for all. We need to stop building our city as if everyone was 30-year-old and athletic. By the way, I have lots of experience. I have more experience than Mr. Tory in the public sector, in the private sector, in the NGO, and also better academic experience. I have an MBA from one of the top 20 schools in the world, UCLA. I have an honorary doctorate in urban planning. I have worked in over 350 cities in all continents. In the U.S., I've been hired by more than 20 states to work with the decision makers, the governors, the mayors, on issues related on seniors and cities and cities for everyone. I'm happy that we're having this debate now because Mr. Tory only accepted two debates for many invitations and only after the advance voting began. 
Uh, maybe it's because people would have an opportunity to see that in the last 10 years, the city has become less affordable, less equitable, less sustainable, and we need to change. I think I hear from the citizens that we need affordable housing. The city created housing now, and they don't have one shovel on the ground after eight years. We need greener, mo greener mobility, connecting it. We need public services that actually work because we go to the parks and even the water fountains are not working in the middle of July. Half of them. Torontonians. I ask you to move from hopeless to hopeful. Let's end Mr. Torres' divisiveness. He's having everybody fighting everybody. The young versus the old, the downtowners and the suburbs, the homeless versus the police, the, 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 the cyclists and the cars, the nimbys and the jimbys. That's lack of vision. Together, together we can create a Toronto for everyone. This is why I'm inviting you on October 24th, Together, we can make a Toronto for everyone. So say, sorry, Tory, and vote Gil Penalosa for mayor of Toronto. Thank you. Next up is Sarah Kleimenhaig. Thank you so much, audience who's here, listeners who are tuning in. Thank you, fellow candidates, for coming and bringing your ideas to the table. And thank you to the hosts who have created this opportunity for us all. I believe one vote for residents every four years is not enough to run a thriving city. I want Toronto to take a new approach to government that invites residents to make decisions on everything from how their taxes are raised to how housing is created in their neighborhood. I think that approach requires a leader that is committed to listening and collaborating with everyone from people in encampments to people in large corporations without favoring either of them. It requires a leader who's interested in working with those across the political spectrum. And it requires a leader who's directly in touch with the challenges that face so many people in this city. I'm 51, and I've spent most of my life in Toronto, and I love what Toronto has given me. And I've spent hours waiting for the bus in the rain. I've arrived at libraries to find them closed. I've lost treasured local businesses, and I worry about whether my children will be able to afford to live in the city. My direct connection to these issues makes me highly motivated to fix them. I successfully advocated for transit, safety, and green space improvements that weren't there before I pushed for them. I know how city council works through many hours spent trying to get councillors and the mayor to listen to evidence and people. And I've learned from those experiences how important it is to build bridges. Through my campaign, I've done everything I can to make those connections and get people involved. I've hosted my own mayoral debate for those candidates who've been left out of the spotlight. I've hosted my own campaign podcast where everyone from artists to housing experts to fellow candidates have been able to share their vision. And I've embraced policies of inclusion for everyone in our city that so far our current government has rejected. I'm excited about what everyone in this city has to offer, and I look forward to working together so that the next election, all of us will be joined by thousands other, of other Torontonians who want to make this city a better place. So thank you for choosing Sarah Kleimenhaig on October 24th. Thanks very much. Now it's time for a short break, and we will be right back after this. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Live from Zoomer Hall, you're listening to a special edition of Fight Back with Libby Snymer. 
a high noon showdown over public policy, opinions, and campaign promises. The CARP mayoral debate on Zoomer Radio and streaming on zoomerradio.ca. Welcome back. Nearly half a million people over 65 live in Toronto, and that's just under 20% of the population. If we add in younger Zoomers, that is the 45 plus, that number climbs to just under 49%. So how will the candidates make life better for them? We're looking for a lively and interesting debate, which is why we're not giving strict time limits for your answers, but please keep them to about a minute when Anthony directs a question at you, and after the answer, you can all weigh in respectfully and briefly. You don't want me jumping in to cut you off. So, Anthony, you're up. Thanks, Libby. The reason for having a CARP debate is to ensure that the concerns of older voters are not lost amongst the many issues discussed and debated during the campaign. In this round of questions, we hope to hear not only your position, but also some solutions for these pressing issues. And my first question goes to Chloe Brown. CARP members tell us that their preference is to age in place, staying in their own communities and having access to housing and services that meet their needs. Toronto has a seniors housing strategy in place, yet thousands remain on waiting lists for affordable spaces. What is your plan to ensure that Torontonians can afford to live in this city as they age? Okay, so... Prong number one, rezoning. One of the biggest issues that I'm hearing from, from healthcare workers is that the rent is really high. So it's hard for them to provide affordable services. And they're also concentrated downtown where a lot of their banks and services are as service providers. So by rezoning the land, we can start by offering low-cost space to essential services and start bringing them to Scarborough, North York, and Etobicoke. Because in order for seniors to age in place, the services that they need should be co-located to their residents. And they shouldn't just be stuck in the downtown core. Seniors should be able to live, work, and play wherever they want to in Toronto. The biggest problem is that they have to come downtown. In order for us to actually challenge that narrative, we need to build not just affordable housing, but affordable industrial and commercial spaces. When we're looking at something like food security and the fact that Loblaws not only was a part of a bread scam for like 14 years and they're still pushing up the price through inflation. We need access to vertical gardens, urban gardens. We need access to aquaponics. All these things can help us offset the cost of some fruits and vegetables that we desperately need while bringing down the cost of our grocery bills. Okay, so people have a chance to weigh in on what you said. Yeah, I would just add that um, along with the zoning reform, which we absolutely need, aging in place requires that seniors are able to navigate their neighborhoods. Their sidewalks need to be cleared. They need to have wide enough sidewalks so they're not at risk. They need to be able to cross the street without getting struck by a car. Um, They need to have transit. They need to have community gardens. So aging in place is involves housing, but it involves more than that. It involves community. And right now, our city does not do a good enough job of making the streets, sidewalks, and uh, neighborhoods accessible to seniors. So that's a big thing that needs to happen. I like your mention of sidewalks, because it's incredible that 24% of the streets of Toronto do not have sidewalks. 24%. And it's a huge problem because anybody, including seniors, may fall. And if they're walking on the street, they fall, they might break a leg on, with black eyes, and they might be run over by a car. If we, and so the mayor has failed to build those sidewalks, and actually they have allowed councillors to veto 
anything doing sidewalks. Also, 80% of our cities for single-family housing. I plan to eliminate exclusionary zoning and allow anybody. Every single home can be subdivided from two to four units as people want. Many people are empty nesters. They want to age in place, but they cannot afford the house. If they split it in four, they live in one fourth and rent out the other three. We're going to have hundreds of thousands of homes as of right. Libby, I'm happy that uh, there's quite broad agreement around this table behind an element of my five-point plan for housing, which is to change the rules such that we can have more triplexes and duplexes uh, and uh, mid-rise development along transit. So I think that's important. I think the one question that hasn't come up yet is that of affordability. Uh, there are a lot of seniors who are either renting or owning, because renters pay taxes too indirectly through the landlord. And I think we're going to have to reassure people that they can stay in their homes, afford to stay in their homes by keeping taxes low. That's the one thing a mayor and a city council uh, can do. And then beyond that, uh, I think there's a lot of other things that we're doing now that we have to scale up, which are like the Renovate Home uh, Program, the Home Share Program, which CARP has been a part of. Uh, these are things, uh, the, the community bus that helps seniors to get around a little more easily and not have to walk as far to the bus stop. So these are all things, I think, that support uh, the notion of seniors staying in homes, uh, but also the question of affordability is going to be key to all of this. Small uh, so clar clarifications of 10 seconds. I think it's important when someone has been mayor for eight years, he should talk about what he has done or not done in eight years, not what he's saying he's going to do in the next four. So the reality is that there has not been this program to allow people to subdivide their homes. Now Mr. Torres is talking about it in the next four. Now let's see what have you done or not done in the last eight years so okay, that right, citizens you, can okay, decide. Thank you, thank you, Gil. Okay, so I want to talk specifically about affordability because I think everyone wants to, you know, everyone promised these, these things, but what does it mean to to actually achieve that goal, right? And I think it's to cut down red tape, meaning lower the time that it takes to get approved to build. And of course, I agree with all, all the zoning changes that uh, Mr. Tory also supports. But in addition, we need to ensure that we're utilizing cities' urban planners to pre-zone the vast majority of Toronto so that we can quickly accept proposals to build affordable housing. Okay, so that's, <laughs> this is where duplication at the city of Toronto is the issue. John Tory has created an open house program, Create TO. There's so many different departments dealing with real estate, and it starts with cutting down the redundancy that has been created by the corporatization of processes. So when we're talking about red tape, it's really the corporations and their need to constantly meddle in public services. So additionally, we're, Taking a land value tax instead of a property tax that taxes the land instead of the properties that you put up there changes the incentive to build and rezone land. If we're really going to talk about property taxes, there are people that are not paying their fair property taxes, churches, charities, and we need to apply an equal lens to everyone paying taxes before we even talk about lowering them even further because austerity is here. Okay. Next question. We'll get to more of those topics as we go along, but that was aging in place. I don't know <coughs> that aging in place was covered, so we'll look forward to hearing more about that. The next topic is transportation accessibility and safety, and this question is for Mr. Tory. We have a very expensive wheel trans program that often can't meet growing demand, subway stations still without elevators, and at the same time, older pedestrians still find it dangerous to cross the road in Toronto all of which can increase isolation. How have you addressed this issue in your two terms, and how will you meet the need of a growing numbers of older and aging Toronto residents? 
Well, thank you very much for the question. I'll say, first of all, that we have expanded considerably our investment by millions of dollars in Wheeltrans. And uh, I think that that has shown to uh, to take away some of the delays that have uh, people have experienced in the past, because that was the major complaint people had. The system wasn't flexible enough and that it took too long for them to get where they wanted to go. Uh, we've brought in innovative programs like the community bus that I, and I mentioned it earlier that actually goes around neighborhoods and, and picks people up closer uh, to their home, right at their home in some cases, so they don't have to walk all the way to the bus stop, which some people will do. I think what's also very important is what we're doing to the TTC. If you look at the vehicles that we purchased that all now, as they say, kneel down to accommodate people getting on more easily. If you look at uh, the fact that I, I had a woman tell me that I'll go out and I want to use transit to go to the doctor to go shopping, but I have to go down the 67 stairs at the uh, High Park subway station and come back up the 67 stairs, and it just doesn't work if I'm carrying a bag or generally. That's why we're putting in uh, elevators and other kinds of accessibility features in all the transit stations to make sure that people can stay mobile and get around the city because it's crucial to not just staying in place but to staying healthy for people to be able to get around uh, the city. Um, I can speak a little bit about the TTC. Um, I think one big issue is actually safety on the TTC and that is something that I think has been overlooked uh, by the city uh, and by Mr. Tory, I think. Uh, and I, you know, Every time I speak to people on the street, there's a lot of uncertainty about uh, whether, you know, they're going to be assaulted or, uh, or robbed on the TTC or just general uncleanliness. Uh, and I think this issue needs to be looked into. Uh, and, and, and the city has the resources to do so, especially when you look at the waste that we're spending on other programs um, that are, you know, like the, re the renaming of Dundas Street, a couple of million, a million dollars there. And, and there are many, many other uh, instances like like that, or or the twelve thousand dollar umbrellas on the waterfront, right? The, these are things that I would get rid of and re reinvest into transit safety. Go ahead. I would transfer Wheel Trans over to Toronto Public Health. It should be a dedicated accessibility route that is managed between a network of local health integrated networks, so that it's there are dedicated routes and ecosystems that seniors use, and they're only for seniors. Additionally, when John Tory decided to make 12-year-olds ride for free, it really put the cost on seniors and the rest of us to subsidize those rides. The seniors could have paid like a dollar for the same ride, and that could have brought down the cost of transportation. But the goal was to make families happy. And this is where democratizing the system becomes really essential because, yeah, like I don't mind subsidizing seniors if that means they can actively age and do it well. But if I'm subsidizing kids as well who have parents that can pay for it, it makes the scales unbalanced. So making sure that we have senior-focused policies and programs across all of our departments is essential. And it will also help by creating a first and last mile connection for a lot of seniors across the city who don't necessarily want to go downtown for their services. So I'm going to jump in there about fares because you mentioned child fares, and that's one of the things I've actually been happy with that we've had free child fares. As a mother, it's made a huge difference. But I have heard from so many seniors who say, why can children go ride for free, but we can't? We're on a fixed income. We need access to transit. And I totally agree. And free senior fares is the next step, and it's one I've already committed to with my platform. What We, we need to pay for wheel trans, but we need to make sure older adults can stay on 
the TTC as long as possible. And how do we do that? Well, we have the free fares for transit for seniors. We don't have any more broken elevators. We make sure frequency of service is reliable. Um, and we work on our roads so that they're safe for seniors to walk to the bus stop and they're accessible. We want to, I want to reallocate road space so that on every road, there's at least one lane that a senior can safely occupy. And that makes our whole city more accessible. So doing all these things and, and the issue of funding for TTC is a real one. Of course, we don't want to have free fares at the cost of service, but we can do both. We can have high quality service and free fares for seniors. I think that every senior knows that every trip begins and ends by walking. We walk to the car, we walk to public transit, and it's not safe to walk. What the city have done is only this ridiculous signs that says senior safety zone begins and three blocks later, senior zone ends. Shouldn't our whole city be safe for seniors and for everyone? So this is something that is simply basic. Of course, also in public transit, we need to make it free. But for the people, for three groups, the seniors on fixed income, the people with disabilities, and the people on welfare. It's not about giving to everyone because, of course, we don't have money to give it free to everybody. Like you just said, the children, giving the wealthy children free, it doesn't make any sense. We, in 2022, we should be subsidizing by need, not by age. But seniors on fixed income should have free public transit. Which brings us to the question of affordability. It's a big issue for everyone, but especially tricky for those on a fixed income, Anthony. Thanks, Libby. The next topic is affordability, budget, and taxes. And this one is for Ms. Kleimenhaig. Inflation and rising costs amongst all categories can make it almost impossible for many to live and thrive and even enjoy life in a major city like Toronto. What can taxpayers, especially those on fixed incomes, expect if you are a next mayor to help them weather the rising cost of living? Well, first of all, I would like to go to seniors to ask them what's the best way. We heard from our mayor that he believes low property taxes are the best way. Some people may agree, but there's others who would say, no, what matters to me for affordability is that that the transit is free. What matters for me for affordability is that the Parks and Recreation Center is open. Everyone has a different view of what makes the city affordable for them. So I think we need to go directly to them and ask them what makes it affordable, and then Bring them into the budget process. Bring them in. Let them have a voice. Let people have a voice on what their taxes are, how they're paid, what what they pay for, how we generate revenue. People have a lot more to contribute than we've allowed them to. And I think by opening up our budgeting process, by making it clear, transparent, our politicians fully accountable for every dollar that gets spent, that's how we make this city affordable. That's how we improve quality of life in this city. And that's how we give residents what they need, by asking them and getting them involved in the decision. Um, Five seconds left. No. Everybody. Okay. Uh, so the affordability question also comes back to rezoning. A lot of the issues that we have in terms of getting the services that we need is that they're too far from us. Uh, when we're talking about like a 15-minute neighborhood, that means having a healthy grocery stores. It means having recreation. It means having medical services, therapy. And that can only happen if we change the way that the land is used. After World War II, the standard of living was the single-family home with a fence, and that has carried on into now. The reality is, is that we all need different types of housing because our bodies and our situations change. During the pandemic, like both my parents' partners died. It really changed the way that I had to function because the, like all those promises of, yeah, I'll take care of you when you get old, 
they came real. I can't afford a place to put both of my parents. And the reality is that they'll need apartments in the future. They'll need to downsize. And the only way that we can do that for them is by building mid-rise, high-rise buildings to make up for the fact that every story of lost affordable housing drives up the cost of building housing. So we've by... Got to, sorry, go ahead. We've, we've got it. <laughs> Libby, I think what we really need to focus on on affordability on this discussion uh, is what a mayor can do uh, in the position that we're seeking, we're all seeking. And we don't have control over some things, but we do have a, a degree of influence over things like the TTC, which we've been discussing, and we have discounted fares uh, for seniors. I'd love to be able to promise all kinds of things, uh, but the discounted fares, we have something we introduced called the hop-on, hop-off, uh, two-hour transfer, which means you can go, if you're a senior, to a doctor's appointment and come back and not have to pay twice. A significant uh, a di- discount for seniors. We have uh, a 50% discount for all seniors on rec programs they participate in. But then, most importantly, and I, most importantly, Importantly, meaning in terms of the quantum of, the, of, of what seniors have to pay each year, whether through their rent or as homeowners, is taxes. Because it's a big bill relative to all these others, if you think about it. And, and if we want people to stay in place and remain healthy, we have to keep their taxes reasonable so they can stay in their homes financially. And that is why I've pledged uh, to keep increases in property taxes for the operating budget uh, below the rate of inflation. Um, so in terms of affordability uh, and you know what the city can do, I completely agree with John in that the city can't promise everything, okay? But what we can look at is where we're spending money. And in my opening remarks, I talked about the $1.25 billion SSHA program, which we spent on social housing and and homelessness support. That has not caused homeless to go down. It has increased, and we're almost at 10,000 right now. So that is a big area where I want to look into, see where is that money going? And through that, I would like to actually offer free TTC for everybody. Uh, that is possible uh, according to my budget calculations, uh, and you can find that on my website. And, other, and, and another thing I want to talk about is the improvement uh, to public amenities like libraries, gyms, all that stuff is important, and I, I don't think we should be cutting funding for those when we have this giant tumor on the budget that is not being looked into, and I believe for political reasons. I'm sorry. I think, I think from the point of view of affordability, it's very important to talk about equity. Equity. For example, when we lower from 325 to 225 public transit, for the wealthy people, it doesn't make an incentive. But for the low income, 225 is way too high. So for the seniors on fixed income, we should have a dollar a ride or free. Same thing for people on welfare and same thing for people with disabilities. So we also have to provide a lot of the services. The reality is that from the affordability, for example, we should not just focus on people that own homes because that is Mr. Torres' only concern. Property tax, property tax, property tax. How about the people that are renting? He has voted against having, uh, having criteria to qualify uh, the, the rental buildings, red, yellow, or, or, or green. He has also voted against having rent control when the buildings have been have using public, uh, public funding. So I think affordability is about everyone. Okay. We are ready for our next question. Anthony. Thanks. We're back to Gil now for this question. CARP advocates to our members that the best way to keep going is to keep going. But the city has a role to play in that, providing opportunities that are age-appropriate, accessible, and affordable as a way to ensure that the older population remains healthy. That will save lives and save dollars. What's your plan to help older Torontonians live healthfully? I think that must be a priority. We need to have Toronto could be the healthiest city in Canada for everybody at all ages. But older people is even more important. We need to be able to live older, 
healthier, happier. For example, we need to have programs. The city has practically no programs for people over 60. They only focus on the 5 to 12, 12 to 18, and over 60 is critical. It's one-third of our lives. A full third of our life is over 60. And sometimes the city perceives that people over 60 are only in the last three years of our lives when we're very dependent. No, the other 75%, 80% of our lives as older adults, we're very independent. We gotta multiply the activities in the parks, in the libraries, in the recreation centers. This is also about sociability. It's about meeting with others. It's not just doing walking paths. It's organizing walking groups. This is about mental health and physical health and happiness and loneliness. And there's a lot that we could do, but not if we got all of the services as Mr. Story has been doing in the libraries and recreation and parks. You know, I think a lot of it is uh, programs that I've mentioned today, but I think they're worthy of uh, making sure people know that there are, for example, 75 uh, seniors, act, uh, seniors uh, active learning centers across the city which are precisely meant to provide the programs for people, and that's up eight uh, since I took uh, office. Uh, in fact, the budget for this area in these recreational programs, the overall budget has gone up every single year that I've been mayor, and the budget for the library system has gone up every single year. Uh, we have senior-friendly fitness equipment that has been put in place specifically to make sure that it is... Uh, you know, I'll call it sensitive to the particular needs of seniors. Uh, we do have older adult centers spread right across the city for these activities. And as I mentioned before, a 50% discount in all of these programs for seniors who sign up. And so I think it, 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 it's these kinds of programs that are made available to people together with uh, the kinds of transportation initiatives we talked about to help people get there that are going to be key to keeping people healthy. Uh, and uh, the mobility is a big part of it too. Mobility meaning to get to and from uh, these kinds of programs uh, that uh, people can take advantage of. Um, just jumping in, since you said the library budget has been increased every year, I thought that this year the library budget wasn't being increased. And this is one of the things is that low property taxes doesn't just mean low property taxes. It means other things will be cut. Uh, now, I'm not going to stand here and say we have to have higher property taxes, no more than I'm going to promise free fares for seniors. But I am going to say, as a mayor, I'm committed to that. I'm co committed to free fares for seniors, and we can do it. The city can do anything. The city is all of us. And it's true. What can a mayor do? A mayor's one person. A mayor has only so much hours in the day. But if the mayor engages all of the city together to make the decisions together on property taxes, to make the decisions together on how to fund TTC, to make the decisions on which community centers we have, on opening up labor issues, we still are restricting people from accessing being lifeguards because of the vaccine mandates that we still have. We need to get rid of those labor shortages so that we can have lifeguards at our pools, so we can have our libraries open. So if we get the whole city involved, it won't just have to be the mayor mayor who does everything. It's all of us doing it together. And we as a city need to decide what do we want? Do we want low property taxes? Do we want a cleared budget? Do we want libraries? Do we want transit? What do we want? Let's decide together. Sorry. I think it's kind of hilarious to hear like the American only do so much because if we've been watching recently, Doug Ford is kind of the mayor now because John Tory hasn't really challenged him. He's taken, he's given strong mayor powers to Toronto. And during the pandemic, we all watched as the government created all these income support programs to help people. So I do not buy that the government can only do so much. The elected officials choose to do so much. And this is where when it comes to senior recreation and affordability, we have public boards over like a hundred for agencies, boards and committees that are in the city. If we are mandating that seniors sit on all public boards, we could have the representation we wanted. It is a matter of like the elected officials 
actually going to bat for the people that they're supposed to represent. And this is this is why I'm talking about corporatization, because after eight years, all we have is that shiny sign down at City Hall that every port city now has. When it comes to recreation programs, the parks, we have the ability to make these decisions. It's just elected officials choose to take the power out of our hands and give them to businesses to make decisions for us. Let's give Jack a few seconds. I want to jump in here. Um, I think in terms of... uh, it's 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 like like I feel like there is this trade off that people perceive that oh we either increase property tax or de- or uh, or you know decrease funding for uh, public amenities I I don't think that is the case it all it all comes back to the budget where is this money going 1.25 billion dollars Mr Tory um, and you know with my introduction of the free TTC. I think that will allow everyone, not just seniors, to you know in, to increase their to increase their mo- mobility and uh, ha- have a healthy lifestyle. Next question, Anthony. Thanks, Libby. This one is for Jack. Two years of COVID and thousands of deaths in long-term care homes across our province. Toronto is a provider of long-term care in a system that is both private and publicly funded. But thankfully, uh, Toronto had better outcomes than most. What's your plan to keep long-term care residents safe in future waves of the pandemic and living a dignified life while they're being cared for by the city of Toronto? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. So I think it comes down to um, government spending. You know, do we have enough to keep building these things? I don't think so. Uh, But what is true is that we need to incentivize the private sector to do the work for us. And what that means, and and, and by the way, there is a lot of money to be made in long-term care homes, okay? And, but there's not enough competition. You know, it takes a long, long time to build these buildings, okay? But if we were to allow developers to expedite this process, then we are able to achieve much uh, cheaper housing, um, um, t- cheaper housing options for everybody, not just uh, 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 seniors. Um, and that is, uh, you know, what I think we should do. We can't keep saying government spending, government spending. We've shown that we, we're not able to spend the money effectively, as I said. Like, we, we, I, I've gone through the budget. The, the effects do not correlate to the amount of money that we're spending. And, and that's what I have to say about that. I, sorry, I just heard the speech of a future conservative leader. Um, we do have money to build long-term care homes. The ones that were failing were the for-profit homes. And this is where it becomes really important not to make profit off of helping people towards death. It makes more sense to invest in them being able to age at home. And when it comes to long-term care, my plan is to create a campus of care in neighborhoods. What that means is that like a university campus, you would be surrounded by health professionals in your neighborhood that would close the gap between the hospital and getting the to a long-term care home. Currently, the province is sending seniors 150 kilometers away from hospitals. The only way for us to direct more seniors out of hospitals is by making sure home care services are top quality and that they're available within 20 minutes of your home. That is the only way that we can fight this off. So by making sure that recreation is available, making sure that preventative care in the forms of nutrition, health, and making sure that I as a neighbor look out for you is really important. And that only happens by building supportive housing and making sure that the workers that will support you can live here. Right now, nurses are leaving because they cannot afford here. We all have to band together and fight for each other instead of saying my land is my land and what happens to you is not my business. So it's a culture change. 
Can I just say, I think that the campus of care concept is actually one worthy of uh, giving further thought to. But if you look at, go back to the question, and you look at what, what uh, set apart our long-term care home residences that we have, I think we have 10, and we've got another one we've made a huge contribution to uh, in Scarborough that's being built, $175 million city contribution. But it's about a couple of things. It's about a commitment we made with budgetary dollars attached to have emotion-centered care, which really focuses on one other aspect of the question. Each individual, instead of being part of some policy book, that says you shall be treated this way, it treats individual seniors, which they are, of course, um, based on their own individual needs. And it's something we've put in across our long-term care uh, network of homes that we operate. Staffing. We've stabilized the staffing. One of the reasons COVID spread was because we had people coming and going, working in two and three jobs, and we've put working conditions in place for those people that want them to make a stable, secure career in the city of Toronto's long-term care uh, residences. And I'll just mention one more thing that isn't directly related to long-term care, but we've set up now a seniors housing corporation that takes the seniors housing for which we're responsible and, and separates those to be run in a way that can be particularly sensitive to the needs that seniors have different perhaps than other people who are uh, in, who are, were entrusted to care for. Over 90% of the seniors in Toronto, they want to age in place. So what we need to do is facilitate that people age in place. So when anybody turns 70, we are going to have a program similar that they have in Denmark that we're going to visit those homes and we're going to analyze what do they need so that it's safe for an older person. Also, with new developments, we're going to put regulations so that the new homes will be, available, will be safe for everyone. So also, we need to do a lot more housing. And I'm totally agree with Chloe on the 15-minute city. We, we, Seniors, with the one age in place, they must have all of their basic needs within walking distance. Why? That's why we have the program, the neighborhood city, so that the park, the library, the public transit, the grocery store, and so everything can be within walking distance. I'm not even talking about 15-minute city like Paris, that my friends are setting it up there, or the 20-minute city in Portland, because people walk at different speeds. So more than speed is the neighborhood city. We can have that, and, that, and we are going to substantially improve the quality Quality of life. We need to help people age in place. So how we keep long-term residents safe in future pandemics. Now, I'm not a doctor or an epidemiologist, so I want to hear from the long-term residents and I want to hear from those in charge of them what the mayor should do. But I can tell you what I think a mayor shouldn't do, because what we, as Gil said, what we need to do is keep people healthy so that as few people as possible need to go into long-term care homes. So how do we keep people healthy as older adults? I can tell you what a mayor shouldn't do. They shouldn't tell grandparents they can't hug their children. They shouldn't tell children they can't come and bring food and care for their parents during a pandemic when what's most important is family. We shouldn't tell older adults, we shouldn't close the, the opportunities for them to have recreation. We shouldn't tell them what medication they have to take. You should not listen to Sarah Kleimenhaga for healthcare advice. You should listen to your own doctor and to your trusted advisors. And you, you should, I won't, I don't want to close any in to close playgrounds, tape off benches. That's what a mayor shouldn't do because these things are critical for health. So it's really important. Thank you. Okay. It's time for a break. We'll be right back. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. For the record, we plan on holding these candidates accountable. Now back to a special edition of Fight Back with Libby Snymer, the CARP mayoral debate on Zoomer Radio and streaming on zoomerradio.ca. High Noon, live from Zoomer Hall. Welcome back. Now I get my turn. And 
I'm not a pessimist, on the contrary. But as I move around the city, the sense I get is of a city that has given up, given up trying to manage and coordinate and deliver the basics while we're in the midst of a tremendous growth spurt. And that growth seems to be the justification for dirty streets, overflowing garbage cans, year-old potholes, abandoned construction equipment blocking traffic lanes, the stench of overflowing sewage invading a neighborhood, a problem that has been recurring in certain places for years. Now, obviously, the pandemic set us back. But Toronto has about 40,000 employees who were paid in full to do their jobs throughout. And you all have great ideas. I've heard a lot of them. But what I want to know is how are you going to get things done? Gil. Well, first, I think that the, empl- the staff at the city are demoralized. I think that they feel that the elected officials and their top-level staff have failed them. I think that anybody that w- goes to work for the city, they want to change the world, but then they are, and that's why they are living. Their old departments have huge vacancies. Ooh, so wait, so, no, sorry, yeah. wait. I tried to confirm that with the city spokesperson, Brad Ross. He said yeah. there is a 12% vacancy rate, and that has been consistent through years. No, it's, it's, not mo- it's, it's much higher now in places like no. the, dep- the planning department. But anyway, I'm going to work with them. They're magnificent people. My priority is going to be how to reignite that flame of wanting to work with the city. So I do think, and I, I, and I think that we could do a lot better. I don't think the problem is tough. I think the, we need to elect not only a new mayor, but also a lot of the new councillors, and maybe do some changes at the top. But the majority of the staff, I think they are good if they're motivated, if they're empowered, and if they're allowed to actually do their job. So when you say changes at the top, you mean that you would take out a few senior bureaucrats? Yes, I think so, because they have been failing. When we see the parks, that they, not, they don't even open the water fountains. Half of them were not open in June. By the way, the mayor didn't know that until after eight years as mayor. Maybe it's time that we have a mayor that actually walks or takes public transit or uses public parks as a normal part of their, of their leisurely life. Uh, yes, if, if, if a person cannot even open the water fountains before half of the water fountains by July, obviously that person should not be running parks and recreation. Uh, so I do think that there are some areas in the city where it's not the staff. The staff, they know what to do, but they are not having the leadership at the top to actually do what needs to be done. Yes. How are you? Well, Libby, I'm not satisfied uh, with our performance. And in fact, uh, in a number of areas, we've given some direction. And and let's remember, we did go through an awful pandemic where it made it much more difficult for some of the people to do their jobs. And you're seeing some of the consequences where now, when I talk about recovering Toronto, part of it is to recover uh, people back to doing their jobs the the way they did them before. But I think that um, we have to place a greater priority in some of these things. And people talk about the washrooms not being open in the winter. Well, the fact is those washrooms were built decades ago and nobody thought that they should be open in the winter back when they built them. But the process of winterizing them, on which we've set aside millions of dollars in the capital budget, is not an overnight thing. People know that from renovating their own homes, that you can't winterize something or just do it at the drop of a hat. We have to do better on some of the things that have been mentioned, uh, and, 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 I, and we will do better. We can do better, and we will do better. Uh, the sewage that you mentioned, 
I can tell you right now, the likelihood of that is that that was caused by the fact that the system was put in place decades ago that mixed together the stormwater and the sewage. And we're spending billions of dollars, started under my watch, to make sure that we separate those systems and put holding tanks in place so that doesn't happen. But again, that's a multi-year, multi-hundreds of millions of dollar project that is being done. These things are being addressed. There are problems coming out of the pandemic. And the job, I think, that has to be handed to an experienced leader is to go in there and make sure that we can do better and that we will do better. Yeah, but should we're not getting the basics. I mean, it really, it really well, seems... Which basic are you talking about? <laughs> oh, which one? Uh, <laughs> well, go ahead, Nate, talk about it. I drove down Bay Street at the end of the summer... This is, we want to revitalize our downtown. It's full of potholes. Why weren't those potholes filled? 180,000 of them have been filled. And, and the fact is we rely on people to let us know where they are. And I think actually we have a pretty good record of getting out and filling them. 180,000 so far this year. So far this year. And that's, that's the, the problem. You're what? relying on residents to tell you to do your job. Meanwhile, you're the leader and you should be setting visions and a plan for us to co-opt onto. Like... One of my biggest beasts with you is that you put Tracy Cook, who has 20 years of policing experience as the city manager of infrastructure and development. Tracy has never come across engineering plans, built anything, but you gave her that job. It's one of the highest positions at the city, and she doesn't have experience to do it. You have to come to understand. Uh, so you're rewarding no, party you loyalty. There are, no, party loyalty. Well, that's the, the thing. Like there, She there doesn't people, have the credentials. People, and I hope you would agree with me that people who have one particular kind of training can be, become excellent public servants. And, and she, We're Ms. talking Cook, about building infrastructure. Excellent, we have people that are engineers and construction people. People, she is an excellent public can I, servant. Can we just take this away yeah, from we, an individual we don't, we don't public to, servant? I don't yes. think we want to be risking any lawsuits here, talking about people behind their backs. Um, what I want to say is we need to, the city, we need to know why isn't it happening? If we have people who are saying they want things to happen, why isn't it? Why aren't we getting the potholes filled? And so I think that the city is really trying to do too much. If we can't do our job, let's do it more easily. If we can't find hundreds of millions of dollars, Let's do things easily. Let's do things nimbly, flexibly. Countries around the world are doing all sorts of things differently. If you can't build a multi-million dollar bathroom, what can you create so someone can go to the bathroom there instead of in the bushes? You know, the sewage problem. What why don't we, uh, yeah, the sewage problem. We have the, one area is in Rockcliffe. Uh, the city is actively making that problem worse by proposing to pave over a creek there that is actually a place to absorb rainwater. So the city is kind of doing both things. We're acting in silos. It's working against its own interests. So really, it's it's about engaging everyone to solve these problems together and making it possible. We have 200,000 bylaws. We barely enforce them. Let's have clear, high standards that we do enforce and get rid of the red tape. And, and there's... Okay, the... Sorry. Mayor, I have a question for you. You led your group to approve the gardener. The gardener is a waste of almost $2 billion. You are putting $700 per every man, woman, and child in the city. It's over $2,000 per every household. Do you think that is the best investment for the city when, when it's going to save three minutes to 2% of the commuters? You don't have money. You say there is no money to winterize the washrooms in the parks. You don't have money to do the sidewalks, but at the same time, you're putting all $1.8 billion to turn down 
Pana Highway and to rebuild it 100 meters when no city is doing elevated highways in the in the developed oh, world. We are, Why are you it, doing that? Here we are talking about trying to improve uh, services in the present, which is something that I'm very committed to doing. I don't think the city has been nimble enough at sort of doing some of the things that it has to do. I'm not satisfied. But the last way to go about improving services uh, for the present and the future is to go back and revisit a decision made seven yeah. years ago about the Gardner Expressway and on which if you stop doing it today and stop work that's already underway, there won't be any money saved. This is money that's proposed to be spent that, that won't be saved. And that we had the debate, we had the decision, decisions were made seven years ago, and I'm for, just like the transit plan, just like the housing, just like the city's finances, that you're going to need experienced leadership to see us through, carry through on the decisions we've made, and not go back and start revisiting and reversing and redebating and rediscussing decisions. That's one of the reasons that leads to uh, inattention sometimes to the things we should be focusing on. John, you say, excuse me, excuse me, you'll get your own debate. <laughs> um, you say that you're not satisfied a lot. And one of the things that drives people nuts is the gridlock. And it just seems like every developer that's building a condo just does whatever the heck they want. Uh, and streets are closed without any sense, even before this morning when there was a reason to close King Street on in two directions. Uh, the way it worked is that in, in the afternoon, to go northbound from here, you basically had to do something uh, that may or may not be illegal. So, so uh, we've talked about coordination in the past, and it did seem to be happening, but it seems to be gone. Part of the challenge for us, and the coordination is happening both through uh, the, the attempts that are made not to have construction happening everywhere at the same time, and also through the creation of, I think, five now construction hubs in the city where areas of particular intense activity, the city has the authority and has taken the authority under my leadership to say the cement trucks can't come to that project at that time because they're going somewhere else, and so on. This is a safety thing as well. But what I will say to you is this. I will not have us slow down on the public works construction that replace the very sewage uh, uh, pipes that you raised in the first question that put in new water mains to replace ones that are 140 years old. When we're building buildings, when the city is growing by 70,000 people a year, they have to have safe water. They have to have the sewage taken away. We're putting in the infrastructure, a billion dollars worth of infrastructure every year to, uh, to do those things. And we have public transit construction. Everybody's in favor of that around this table. That is the key to gridlock in the end, and we're putting in $28.5 billion worth of transit. I want that plan to get done. That contributes to the traffic that you talk about. And then last but not least, one more thing, private construction of residences and buildings. All the housing we all talk about, whatever form it takes, it has to get built, and it is causing some if interruption I, uh, in, in the traffic. But it's got to get built, yeah. and we have to try so, and manage traffic at the same time. So, John, like, like I feel like everybody is promising, oh, like, we're, we're we're doing the, the, these things, but people are saying, okay, we don't see, see potholes being, being, uh, being fixed. So like, the reason for that is there's no one being held accountable at the, at, at the council level. You guys are more concerned with debating about changing a street name and how much you spend on waterfront umbrellas rather than looking at these local issues. And I think we have to hold these account, uh, councillors accountable, and that's the process that must be done in that we, you, you can't just overall, you know, have, you know, put put everything into this one big promise. Oh, we're, we're going to improve public services. But what 
those things are differ in various areas, right? Like there may be more potholes in in, in, in、uh, certain neighborhoods, whereas there, you know, we may need more garbage collection in a different neighborhood. And this, I this this responsibility should lie for each city council, and the mayor should really listen to the input of these、uh, individual councilors. So really, just give more freedom and responsibility to、uh, individuals. You, you wanted to jump in there, Chloe. Yeah. So the housing plan that he's saying is his is Justin Trudeau's. The transit plan that he's championing is his is Doug Ford's. Everything that he's saying is his. He rode the coattails to victory, and at this point, that is what I expect from leadership. It just downloads its responsibilities, doesn't want to take responsibility for anything, and then will co-op someone else's project and say, "This is mine, and I did it." Like the old. I'm not. I'm not done speaking. I'm not done speaking. Done. You have to work with other people. You have to work with the other government. Yeah, I've watched you work to work with the other government. So, John, I watched you work your way through the federal government. John, you've been working your way through the federal conservatives in '93. You worked your way through the provincial conservatives in 2009. Now you've worked your way through the municipal government. Enough. Like enough. Like I, I literally cannot give you any more time. So listen, I'm just going to jump like, in here because、I've, we've all felt this frustration when we things aren't working. We get angry, and we get angry at our political leaders, or we get angry at bureaucrats, and it's it's a legitimate emotion, and I felt it too. But. We all care about the city, and we do need to work together, and we do need to move past the division. And I think that there are possibilities for all of us. So, what I think is, do we want to still? Yes, we can't revisit pro,、uh, decisions made seven years ago, but that idea that we have to do big, that we have to do multi-year, that we have to spend billions of dollars, that we have to cause huge, huge disruption to change things. I dispute that, and I think we can create rapid transit all throughout the city without、um, killing local businesses. I do support the LRTs, but I. I think we're not doing it the right way, and I think we can do more on other streets like Dufferin to get here. So let's work together. Let's get stuff done. Let's concentrate on what we all agree on, and we're all human beings. No, I'm very sorry, but we have a, we have made a decision of billions of dollars. That is, tw- the all 45 percent of the budget transportation 2020-2030. What at 2022? We can revisit what we are going to do with that, and ask the universities to help us find what is the best solution. Also, I totally agree with Chloe on the issues. Of equity, places like Rexdale and Rosedale, the only thing they have in common is that they start with an R. But we have a two-tier or three-tier city, and we must end that. Even in even in the tree canopy, our wealthy areas have over 50% tree canopy. Our well, low-income areas just five. And the last woman is this:、yeah. the mayor has abdicated. The mayor has abdicated the city to the province. Places like Ontario Place, him and Ford wait, wait. are giving away Ontario I, I, Place instead of a public park, a private spa. I, I think that in in every way, I totally agree with Chloe. The, the transit plan of the mayor is all of it is the provinces. So he's going to say, "I'm going to be laser sharp." Well, laser sharp. Why is it that Eglinton has been delayed and delayed and delayed, and again is delayed? Why is it that we are allowing Ford to put underground the Eglinton West? Same train, same speed, fewer stations. 2.4 billion dollars to put it on the ground. Why don't we say, Premier Ford, thanks for giving us 2.4 billion, but don't waste it on the ground. We need more kilometers in Etobicoke, in York, in in, in, in Scarborough. We need the city hall. Mayor and council have failed the suburbs. We need one city. We need to stop this vastness and create a one Toronto for everyone. Kill. 
I have to jump in for one thing. You're saying that the city has abdicated to the province. It's the province that has the power and the province that treats the city as though it is wearing short pants often, though now you have strong It's very powers. different when the but mayor you know, acts like a cheerleader you know, of the premier you, yeah. than when the mayor acts like the mayor of Toronto. You know I, I will be the mayor of Toronto when I'm dealing with the province or the federals, to your not point, a cheerleader. To your point, yeah. what, I, what I have tried to do, and I've tried really hard at this, and with some success through different prime ministers and different premiers, is to make sure that those governments do what they have to do because we cannot get the big things done. There is no transit plan without the other governments participating. There is no big uh, housing plan to uh, address the supply problem without the other governments participating. And I think people should ask themselves very carefully about how we're going to keep those partnerships in place because we need them. We need their money to get these things done, all of these things done. And we need experienced leadership to work with the other governments to get that money to make sure the city can be what it can be in the future. Okay, just a minute. I just want to say something to Gil. And Gil, the last time we talked, when I asked you how you would pay for these things, you also said you'd have to get the money from the other levels of government. So, of course. Uh, no, yeah, no, but no, you'll no, have no, to be no, a bit nice. No, no. Of course, you've got to be nice. For example, the province did a committee on what to do with housing. And that committee came with wonderful recommendations. For example, to solve the, allow people as a right to subdivide their homes. But Mayor Tory was against it. But also, we need to be respectful. The province is saying we're going to give mayoral powers. All the mayors in the extended GTA from Oshawa to Niagara all have become against it, except John Tory. Except why? Because Tory and Ford are the same. We, don't, we have not lacked powers. We have lacked vision and action. I mean, even the mayor got approved something as horrible as the garden. I mean, I, I want people to think. Have you, can you even think of one significant project that the mayor has led in the last eight years? One. It's incredible, but a city like Toronto has not had one significant project except the garden. So he got it approved. I don't think the mayor has lost any vote at city council on any significant issue. So it's not about that. I think that all of this mayoral power, no. But I do think I'm willing to work with Premier Ford. I like a lot of the ideas on his housing committee. I'm also willing to work with Trudeau. I think, but, but respectfully, respectfully. You wouldn't we, have a choice uh, about yeah, working strong, with yeah, that. I just want to add, course, we, Libby, <laughs> since you mentioned those strong mayor powers, that strong mayor does not mean strong ag against this province. It means strong against the residents. That's what strong mayor powers give. Against the councillors. Well, the councillors are elected by residents. So if a mayor overrules you know councillors, they're overruling residents. get reelected. So it, it's a, there's lots of issues around our democracy. Seriously. We could have a whole other hour. But the point is, to me, how we stand up to the province and the federal government, how we have a strong negotiating position is by doing things well in our city and by engaging our residents I, together so we stand up together. Well, I can say how we can be strong against Doug Ford is that we have to stop avoiding certain political issues, okay? We have to be willing to, the mayor has to be willing to speak out against the amount of pressure that the that the province is putting onto the city through you know taxes, like we are basically shouldering all the burdens of the rest of Ontario. It's it's not fair. I mean, do you have phone calls with Doug and you tell him, hey, why are we being taxed like this and what are we getting back? And 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 I don't think you know from what from what I've read, we're paying four times as much ta uh, four four times as much taxes as other. Uh, cities in Ontario. And I, I, and I don't think that's fair, uh, especially with the amount that we're getting back in terms of transit. You know, I mean, your smart track program is completely, you know, fall off the rails and being replaced by a provincial one. And, um, you know, the, and the reason for that 
internally yeah. on, on the budget, I, I keep going back to the budget. It's because there's not enough focus on slimming down the fat. Like, where is this money going? I keep going back to this wasteful spending on, on, on public properties like umbrellas or these street signs to replace a name. Millions of dollars spent. These are, th- this is no way to spend taxpayers' dollars. And we, and the mayor needs to be held accountable for that. Um, you know, why don't just, just, just a minute. Please respond. Well, I will just say that people want to look at uh, eight budgets uh, that I brought forward. And in those eight budgets, we've held property taxes uh, increases to add or below the rate of inflation. And at the same time, expanded extensive numbers of services. Uh, you know, we've engaged in all kinds of projects, whether they be transit projects, and we are contributing to those. They're projects that we are partners with the federal and provincial governments, not their program. It's our collective program. And I'm not, I, I'm, I am laser focused on making sure, making sure of that plan. The first one we've had in the history of the city, where all three governments agree on, and on how to pay for it and what transit will be built, that it gets built. Because that's what people expect from leadership, experienced leadership. I'm the same with the housing. And I'm the same with the management of the city's finances. We've got a problem with the city's finances in these uncertain times. And, you know, the solution is not to take a look at what we can do less for people who are the most vulnerable, including people who are experiencing homelessness. The, 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 the task is to find better ways to do things. And we've had to do that every year. We had to find a billion and a half dollars in savings and efficiencies during the pandemic. So we weren't just saying to the other governments, you pay for it all. And we made our contribution by working hard to find better ways to do things, and we will continue to do that. But that takes experience, and it takes uh, the know-how to do that, and that is what I'm offering to people. And I'm just asking the citizens, are you better off today than eight years ago? Even two years before the pandemic, were you better off than six years before? And just a summary of the mayoral powers is the councillors taking the power from the citizens, the mayor taking it from the councillors, and the premier taking from the mayor. Because everything on the mayoral power says, as long as it's, it's in agreement with the province. So you can appoint your people if it's in, a, in agreement with the province. You can do your budget if it's agreement with the province. You can do the project if it's agreement. So everything has to be in agreement with Doug Ford or you will not or get that. You know, I will work with you know, city the, council, I will work with the citizens, yeah. and I don't think this is about mayoral power. Levy, it's about always, vision you and action. better in the operation of any city. Any big city is going to be full of complex problems. That's why we need to have a mayor and why we need to have a council and, pub, and, and a public service. And that's why we need to bring but people I will say into to you, what we're doing, I am, and not unlike just this the mayor. Kind of hopeful, this, hope, <laughs> this hopeless, uh, kind of pessimistic view of the city, I'm hopeful about Toronto. I think Toronto has got its best days ahead. It's got a lot of smart people. People want to come here from around the world because they see this as a place where there's opportunity. They see it as a place where they're going to be respected and where the values that underlie the foundation of how we how we live here are to be something to be treasured. And so I'm very optimistic that if we can make sure we always keep working on getting the basics better, uh, that we can uh, be everything that we want to be as a city with, with good transportation. If we get the transit plan done, better housing and more affordable housing, we can do it faster. Uh, making sure the finances stay in order, that can be done. Just but it's going to take Moving out, actually, residents are moving out of Ontario. Like people who have lived in Toronto are actually looking to move 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 out. Of course, housing is very international. Of course, you have people coming in from all over the world. I mean, there's people from China, Colombia, Korea. You know, a lot of different places who 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 think Toronto is better than their city, which is fine. But we can't keep we can't keep comparing ourselves to a war city, right? We, we have to keep on improving ourselves. And I don't think we've really improved much over the past four or eight years. And I think that is the question for residents is, are you better off? 
Are you happy? What kind of experience do you want from a mayor? And who do you want? And that's the question. And if we can encourage residents to reflect on that and then get out to the voting stations and then get involved after October 24th, we have more to say. So thank you. You know, I think the last couple of Positive comments are a good note to wrap things up on because I'm sure we've gone over time. So thank you to all our candidates. And it is no small thing to put yourself forward and run a campaign, especially these days. To our audience, both here in the studio and in the virtual world, we hope this debate has inspired you to get out and vote and helped you to make your decision. On behalf of CARP and Zoomer Radio, thanks for listening. And people, remember, Free For All Friday is coming up tomorrow, and we'll talk again then. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.